right, welcome back to the Gay 15 Security Sprint, our weekly podcast, our rapid race through all the relevant headlines in our all-hazards threat environment. And once again, it's me, Andy, starting things off today as Dave returns from redacted places that he's been out for the last week. And I'm joined once again by my much more interesting and, and uh, fun colleague, Jennifer Lynn Walker. Jen, thanks. Two weeks in a row is a treat. It is. And I loved your your opening there, a rapid race through relevant topics. <laughs> Your, 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 your alliteration, alliteration is slowly creeping into my bloodstream. I can't, I can't, I can't help it. So Jen is the queen of alliteration, along with many other titles that she wears uh, at our team. So Jen, I'm glad you're back. There's a lot to cover, more than we can adequately do in, in a quick sprint. But I think we're going to try and cover a lot. Um, and I think you're going to start us off today. There's some really interesting things you want to dive into. So as we talk all things threat, all things critical infrastructure, all the fun world of bad things going on in our universe, the ball is yours. Take it away, Jen. Okay, so kind of putting on my the cybersecurity evangelist, which is on hiatus hat. Um, I there was a post um, by the cybersecurity from Fortinet um, this week, uh, over the weekend, today, whatever I saw it, and I like the title: "Cybersecurity: A Necessity for the Sustainability of Society." So again, with that cybersecurity evangelist hat on, I've often said that, you know, cybersecurity is the cost of doing business in today's world, but it really should be kind of, it's the cost of doing everything in today's world, pretty much. It's the cost of embracing technology. If you're an individual, I mean, unless you're, you know, in the sticks, off the grid, don't care, you're probably walking around with a cell phone and you've got to you know, a tablet at home and all of that. So it's really, the, it should be the cost of embracing technology because there's personal impacts. And, you know, it's really, you know, n- not even talking about the business impacts, but there's the personal and privacy impacts. It's it's pretty much next to impossible to separate, um, to separate them these days, you know, business and personal. Um, the post discusses, you know, technology from, you know, the digital economy and interconnected society on those smart things, right? The smart cities and buildings and devices and homes um, to include our, you know, telehealth services or e-health services, whatever you want to call those, and the connected critical infrastructure. Um, Again, the post kind of continues on um, that I lack of cybersecurity, and I love all these. I'm kind of highlighting more from an article than I normally do because I just very poignant points that they put out so a lack of cybersecurity puts society at risk so not just our personal but also you know national security um, and protecting individuals so it goes back to that critical infrastructure water power health Um, you know I, I was trying to think of I always go back when I'm trying to do an analogy to likening it to, to driving. And I don't know why, because I kind of blow holes through my analogy, but you get the point. Um, you know, when we drive a car, we're typically not the only ones on the road. What we do, cybersecurity, what we do behind the wheel impacts other drivers, pedestrians, infrastructure. We might have an accident that we take out a stoplight or a stop sign, or we hit a tree and we impact natural resources, or, you know, we end up you know, leaking into a river or another, you know, type of waterway and polluting the waterway. You know, there are rules and guidelines for operating a motor vehicle to protect not just ourselves, but everyone else. Um, Eventually in time, pretty quickly, all things considered, uh, you know, these, these uh, protections become second nature, Um, you know, rather quickly, all things considered. uh, I know there are some really terrible drivers out there, which is why I said I ruined my own analogy, but I hope you get the idea with that. Um, 
a couple of recent actions that are demonstrating this, you know, necessity for sustainability of society. Uh, Florida mandated cybersecurity training for state workers. There's an article in SC Magazine. Um, and to quote from that, increasingly prevalent and sophisticated cyber attacks have prompted Florida to require cybersecurity training for all its state employees through the program they have uh, called the Cybersecure Florida Training Initiative which seeks to bolster resilience, uh, cyber resilience across the state. Included in the program is a session mainly for state and local government managers and executives that aims to bolster senior leadership's awareness of cybersecurity threats and provide the necessary tools and resources necessary to defend their systems. And then the second one, um, I believe you might be touching on this one a little bit too, Andy, is last week um, on July 26, I believe that was Wednesday, uh, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, voted a three to two to adopt new rules, which would require several new cybersecurity disclosures from publicly traded companies. There's a post at, um, again, cybersecurity firm Tenable uh, that they're... Um, uh, uh, on staff attorney lawyer wrote um, really good, really addresses um, kind of, you know, what types of cybersecurity disclosures are required under the new rules, um, kind of uh, capture from that public companies will be required to disclose material cybersecurity breaches within four days of determining an incident was material. Um, so the financial services industry has been doing things like this for like, you know, for years um, and reporting suspicious activity uh, where they've uh, determined things, they've had three days. So this is like, you know, nothing new um, for some companies out there, but you know, this, this uh, you know, and there's a lot of publicly traded companies that do report their 8K filings and other filings, but there's just gonna be, you know, there's, um, you know, new rules, more stringent uh, requirements. Um, so there's, this article at Tenable really, you know, what aspects of the risk management process will organizations need to describe? What is required of an organization's board of directors? Um, you know, when do the new rules take effect? So it answers a ton of questions. Again, it was really, it was an FAQ on, um, you know, what the new cybersecurity rules mean for InfoSec leaders. So again, if you are a publicly traded company, um, you know, just make sure your attorneys are on top of this and, and all the things um, that are gonna be required under this new rule. Yeah, I mean, so there, there's a lot in there, Jen. I mean, uh, you, you covered a lot, as you always do. <laughs> I like the card and the driving analogy. I think, you know, on the SEC, we'll share the links to the SEC's ruling. Um, like I said, some organizations have been living in this world for a long time, but there's been a lot of pushback on regulations and mandates, you know, the last couple of years, especially since um, we've now got, you know, a Democrat in the White House and Republican-controlled Congress, and it's just been part of the back and forth. So interesting how this plays out along with Circea and other potential regulations we might see in our environment. There's been some debate that, you know, these these sort of fast reporting requirements are going to end up uh, limiting information sharing. If I'm being candid, I would say we're already cl uh, closed clamshells on information sharing in a lot of organizations. So, you know, I don't really know this change, you know, the visitor sharing or sharing. Those that aren't, I think, are looking for excuses not to. And uh, I think they'll take this new mandate, you know, whichever way they want. But I want to go back to something you said earlier that I think is is worth noting, along with what you shared about sort of the the importance that all of us are able to drive our own vehicle, right? And if uh, we'll share the link for this as well, just today, uh, the White House released uh, their their National Cyber Workforce Education Strategy, which they excitingly called Unleashing America's Cyber Talent. But, you know, one thing I think is interesting in there, the very first item under their approach is, is titled Equip Every American with Foundational Cyber Skills. 
right, to enable everyone to enjoy the full benefits of interconnected society. I just think that's reality, right? I mean, kids grow up with a device in their hands. You know, we're all online way too much. And so, you know, unless you're that savage living completely off the grid, um, you know, we're all we're all pretty, pretty wired in. So, you know, we, we need to look at what we're educating children in school. We need to think about how we're educating everyday users. And I think it goes right along with some of the things you talked about as you started your your your, your discussion there. So I think it's it's worth checking all of these things out. Um, I'm excited to I've, I've got to look close at some of those uh, posts that you mentioned. Tenable is always a good source for information. Big fan of SC Magazine. Um, I think you know the, the SEC ruling is really important. As and this White House directive is pretty good to see too. So there's a lot you bundled in there. So we're going to do quite a bit of bundling today. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to cover before we pivot, Jen? No, that's it for my round one. All right. And we also, you mentioned critical infrastructure, which we're absolutely going to come back to. But I'm going to change directions for a little bit here. I'm going to go to the physical environment. I'll do my best Dave Pounder here today. I'm going to talk about a recent article in The Guardian uh, titled Anger and Radicalization, Rising Number of Americans Say Political Violence is Justified. Which is a link to the article. And within the article is an additional link that, that goes back to the actual study that was conducted by, um, let me reference that correctly, uh, the University of Chicago, I think, commissioned the study. But what it talks about, I'm going to quote the first few lines from the Guardian article. So there are topics that we've hit a number of times in these podcasts. Dave and I have done rounds and rounds on these very topics. And it's very relevant to the communities that we work with day to day at Gay 15. So if you'll tolerate me, I'm going to do a little bit of quoting here. It starts, the June federal indictment of Donald Trump is radicalizing support for the use of force on behalf of the former president and current presidential candidate, according to the author of a recent survey about threats to democracy. Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, support for violence to restore the federal right to an abortion has also increased over the last few months, researchers found. And it continues. And I think those are two topics we've brought up many times, again, neither condemning you know, Trump supporters, nor Trump opponents, nor pro-life, no more pro, no, nor pro-choice advocates. We've often said, you believe whatever you want to believe, you support whatever you want to support, as long as you do it peacefully. And that's one of the mm-hmm. foundational pillars of American society is that, you know, we we argue fiercely, we have bitter debates, we've done it back since the election of 1800. But at the end of the day, we settle it through peaceful means at the election box, uh, not through violence. And unfortunately, we do have a small civil war that we fought that was pretty horrible, but we try to keep those things, you know, civil and and without violence, without force. But we are seeing an increase amongst the general population of a comfort using violence. What that means and why it's relevant, because this can show up in our workplaces, this can show up in our communities. And so for leaders, we think about those times that these hot button issues come up, right? Whether it's election season or there's a new Supreme Court decision or something's happening in your local community where it could really incite people to get excited for their issue, for their cause. That could stir up in a workplace issue. We just want to think about those things. Dave does a great job of talking about that in depth. We've talked about it many times on this podcast, but I think with this new study and this article, it's a good chance to just pause and sort of re-emphasize that. But I've got to think about what's going on where the election season is getting hot and heavy. We've got you know additional indictments for the former president and current uh, leading uh, contender for the Republican nomination with Mr. Trump. So we used to think about how that might trigger folks, how that could manifest itself in our workplaces, what that could mean to us as an organization if we're seen as aligning with a certain belief or candidate or party. We just want to think about these things and seeing an increased propensity towards violence and we have to be aware of and just have to, again, keep into our planning, talk to our leadership about, talk to our staff about, keep people thinking, understanding that's not the response we're looking for. You're neither in our homes nor our neighborhoods nor places of work or worship. So that's always worth highlighting that one. Jen, if you don't mind, I'm going to try and keep the ball, but any thoughts on that article before I pivot? 
Uh, no, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with, with your, you know, take on that. Um, we don't have to agree, but we do, we should, we should get along. So, um, you know, regardless, I don't yeah. know, in a civilized fashion, I, I, that's, that's kind of my only, I completely wholeheartedly 100% on board with that. Yeah. And if we can't get along, then just respectfully disengage, right? We have that mm -hmm. option as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, there's a, I, I love talking with people that I completely disagree with, as long as we know that we can still, you know, break bread and shake hands at the end of the day. Some people you can do that with, some people you can't, those that you can't, like for me, you know, you just have to respectfully disengage, right? And, and, and you don't have that argument there, but let's, let's move to another topic. Again, I'm going to look at a recent article, this one from the New York Times, a good article, concerning article, and it starts to talk about some sectors of critical infrastructure that I know are very near and dear to our hearts. So I'm going to zigzag a little bit after I do initial <laughs> uh, referencing here, just some things I think that are very important to you, Jennifer Lynn Walker. So the name of the article from New York Times came out over the weekend, I believe, U.S. hunts Chinese malware that could disrupt American military operations. And just to quote a little bit from that article, for those who are listening who haven't seen it, again, we'll have the links in the show notes. The Biden administration is hunting for malicious computer code. It believes China has hidden deep inside the networks controlling power grids, communication systems, and water supplies that feed military bases in the U.S. and around the world, according to American military intel and national security officials. The article goes on. I'm going to pause because the important thing is here that there seems to be some new concerns, right? Some of these relate back to some recent incidents uh, relevant to Microsoft, but concerns that China may have inserted malware in some of our critical lifelines. We're talking about energy, we're talking about comms, we're talking about water. That could be highly disruptive, right? And, and dependencies for military installations, potentially more broadly than that. So no clear, you know, warning or alert notification. These things often take place in, you know, the non-public eye. But initial, you know, report of concern here a big deal. And Jen, I know that you have, again, as we mentioned last week, some relationship with the water sector, right? So if, uh, before I give you the ball to talk about that a little bit, just a reminder, Jen, I talked last week, if you care about water as you should, a great opportunity uh, right now to sponsor this October's H2O SecCon, which is going to be the annual gathering for the water and wastewater sector. And Jen, I'm very excited that whereas I thought I was going to miss that exciting, uh -huh. event, I will now be here for that because I couldn't <laughs> bear to be away. So I'm excited to be there. I'm excited to get teams a champion for Water ISAC. We'll share the link. If you're interested, sponsor the event. Great opportunity. You can be out there with Jen and Chuck Egley and myself and others. But um, continuing, another really relevant uh, sector critical infrastructure. It's not mentioned in this article, but it's worth noting that just again recently, uh, there was a call, bipartisan bill, designating space as a critical infrastructure sector, a standalone sector of critical infrastructure. We'll share a link to that uh, that bill and the language and the, the talk of how important it is that space gets its own sector, its own sector risk management agency, and is formally part of the information sharing environment as critical infrastructure, not just as a national critical function, which it is, but as its own sector that so many, as you like to say, Jen, so many other sectors rely upon, critical infrastructure or critical infrastructure. I love that quote. I'm stealing it from you. But Jen, water, <laughs> power, communications, space, right, and concerns over foreign malware, what are your thoughts on that? What are your concerns? So a couple of weeks ago, Director Easterly, Jen Easterly, Sisichen, you know, affectionately known, however you, you'd like, um, and other um, cybersecurity leaders for, you know, our nation, you know, have been kind of hinting that there's, uh, don't turn a blind eye to China. Uh, you know, we already, we had the Shields Up campaign for Russia, uh, 
you know, uh, that started at the end of 2021, my mind's like going, wait, when did all this happen? Um, and you know, they're, they were kind of hinting towards there could potentially be a shields up for China. Um, I'm just going to say that there's a lot, I feel, I believe there's a lot we don't know and don't see that they do know. And yeah. when they start talking about like, you know, kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, yeah. um, that's when I start to pay a little bit more closely, att close attention. Um, you know, there's so many like active current threats and and social engineering and, and, and scams and ransomware and all these like direct things right now that are just like littering the headlines. Um, that sometimes even for, for us that watch those headlines, things like that, like, okay, China, you know, like, okay, keep my eye on there, but you know, maybe move it down the, the list a little bit. Um, but when the authorities start talking about, yeah, don't, like start paying attention and we're going to race, you know, potentially do a shields up campaign for that. Um, you know, it's time to pay attention to every little thing, if you will. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of the folks listening, you know, I, I know come from, you know, three letter agency backgrounds. So they know this very well, but for those that may not be, you know, thinking of it that way or may not be familiar, you, you can't, you can't necessarily divulge, you can't divulge classified mm -hmm. information, right? So we get for official use only, products we get what we often see today is tlp amber products that share some threat information but there are times when if we're listening to key leaders right not you know as much as i appreciate all of our public service not sure the, those in the halls of congress although some of them as well but some of our key leaders you mentioned jen easterly uh odni right coming from some of the information within the white house right where there's not so subtle foot stomping about things right yeah, there's a reason for that Right. They can't release certain information, but they're trying to get the message across that, hey, pay attention here. And I, I think you're right on that. We're we're hearing quite a bit about that. We're seeing quite a bit about that. Uh, it, you know, it, he, you can hear, let him hear. Right. Let, let, let's pay attention to the threats that we're hearing about. Let's think about that. Let's think about what that might mean for us. Let's ask the questions we need to ask. Right. If we're not confident about what we need to be thinking about or doing. But there's a conversation happening. We'll share some of these links. Sometimes these things get leaked from those same individuals, right? So we've got to be thinking about where, where does information come from? Sometimes the government is trying to get information out in a way that they can, so we can start to lean into threats that maybe they can't publicly discuss yet. And we see tensions with China. We see tensions with other known adversaries. And adversary, when it comes to threats like this, right? It's just important to think about it and appreciate it. So, Jen, I'm going to stop there. Uh, just before I leave, water, space, any thoughts you want to discuss? Uh, I think, and maybe not specifically, you stole my quote. So for space, so and water, I mean, it is the most critical infrastructure. I mean, come <laughs> on, right? you can't live without water. Power right. is is a little inconvenient. Even space is a little inconvenient, but you can't live without water. Um, but what I did want to say is that again, even if you think, oh, you know, China or Russia for that matter, pie in the sky kind of threat. Um, remember the threat actors you know, threat actors beg, borrow, and steal from each other their different um, methods and, and tactics. Um, so maybe it's something novel that China's doing today. Um, so maybe you're not, maybe you're the type of 
organization that isn't concerned about China or individual that's not concerned about China. Oh, they don't have anything we want, whatever. They may be doing something that other threat actors are going to capitalize on and start using. So it's not so much about the who, it's the what they're doing. Um, so it's still good to pay attention to that novel approach or, you know, this is what they're, you know, so-and-so Russia is doing or China is doing. Because um, it could be a technique that could be used against you down the road from another actor, not necessarily, you know, China, if you're looking for China kind of stuff, it could be someone else. So um, that's kind of what I wanted to say about that. Well, I'm glad that you did say that. And Jen, I appreciate the conversation. <laughs> I think we, we, again, we hit some important topics. I'd love to dive into some of this deeper. We'll share all the links. Happy to talk with folks more. If you want to reach out, we can discuss some of these things more. Uh, you can see some things we shared about that publicly. Uh, but Jen, why don't you hold on to that ball? We're approaching football season. You can see I'm getting excited to start talking that way again. Why don't you hold on to it? And I think you want to take us to our last sort of lead item here. So why don't you continue on? So kind of just a bunch of uh, kind of the threats that, that I was tracking that I think will be um, you know, interesting or relevant to our audience. Uh, one, social, social engineering-based attackers um, exploit Windows-based, uh, the search MS protocol, which is the protocol that drives Windows Explorer. Uh, this post came from SC Magazine, again, all the show notes, although uh, the original um, researchers were Trellix. Um, but kind of the quote, the idea is the search, and, and this is important for our users, because we, you know, we're always searching through Windows Explorer or, you know, uh, I'm a Mac user, so I'm not searching Windows Explorer, but you get the idea. Um, <laughs> um, but the search results of remotely hosted malicious, malicious shortcut files are displayed in Windows Explorer disguised as, uh, you know, PDF yeah. or other um, trusted icons just like local search results. So this technique conceals the fact that the user is being provided with remote files and gives the user the illusion of trust. So as a result, the user is more likely to open the file assuming it's from their own system and unknowingly execute malicious code. So again, using that Windows Explorer feature against us and able to download, um, uh, or you know, make malicious files look like they're in Windows Explorer and then we're, you know, going to trust that. So I guess I was freezing up a little bit. Hopefully you got the gist of what I was trying to share. I think so. There's, there's moments of, of pause, Jen, which is always, you know, part of these fun podcasts. So appreciate it. <laughs> keep, keep going, keep going. Didn't mean, didn't mean to pause you there. That's okay. I heard the, the thing about it. I was like, what just happened? But you were still <laughs> moving. So I was like, okay. Um, the next uh, kind of uh, threat trifecta here, number two on the threat trifecta, um, web browsing is the primary entry vector for ransomware infections. So this one comes from HelpNet Security. Um, in 2021, it was found to be email attachments. But according to some research from Palo Alto Networks in 2022, uh, most of the ransomware that they were privy to uh, uh, came via URL uh, or rep web browsing. So watch what you're searching for, watch what you're browsing into. There are no, I like to say there are no safe websites, only less risky websites. So watch those search results, watch that SEO, black cat SEO poisoning of search results and things like that. And last but not least, I have a public service announcement on a scam that uh, there is a USPS, United States Postal Service phishing scam targeting iOS users. Um, so there was a, uh, if, if you're on a Mac and you click, it goes right to the straight USPS, but if you receive a message 
uh, SMS looking message, but it's actually an iMessage. Um, so it's not in the green for, for you iOS folks, it's not in the green, it's a blue message instead of a green message. I'm like usually, you know, probably like district, like that's a, that's a scam and, and that's easy. Well, this one comes as an actual iMessage. And if you click on it from your mobile device, from your probably uh, iPhone, probably uh, iPad, although the um, researcher didn't know if it, if it happened in iPad, I would imagine it, it would, um, but who knows, um, iPad OS and iOS, mm, some differences, um, but it didn't matter if you were in Safari or Chrome on the Mac OS, it, it just went to the regular USPS site, but when you clicked on the link from your iPhone, um, you know, it opened up Safari and it did direct to an actual phishing page. And as I was talking about that, I had another example in my head. I wanted, or something I wanted to say about it. And now I can't, um, it's, it's completely escaped me. Well, Jen, as, as that escapes you, the thought comes back. I was mentioned, you mentioned different ways that threats come in and browser attacks and things of that nature. I'll just share a link also. There's a Palo Alto report that came out, I think maybe Friday over the weekend. I, I shared about it this morning and just showed how ransomware, this is one type of, of prevalent threat, 76.5% you know, coming in through web browsing, right? So, so you know, our browser continues to be a significant threat um, along with all those other you know, areas you just touched real quickly. But Which is what the story that, that I just did about ransomware. Is that where that came from? Is that, is that the one you were referencing? Yeah. I, it, it, I, I quoted the help net, but then I said it really, the researchers came from oh. Palo Alto. So we're, so we're on the same, so um, as you can see, we're always on the same page, Jen. <laughs> we're always on the same page. So we'll share both the links in the show notes. So I'm glad uh, we're, we're reinforcing each other's uh, stories here. And I did remember when you were talking and now I'm forgetting. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to drag it up. So it was, it's another, another one of my little poignant phrases, but, um, oh, I know, um, last year, and I can't remember who, it might've even been Palo Alto. No, it might've been Proofpoint. I think Proofpoint in like their human factor report from yeah. the year before last, not, not 2022, but for 2021, um, they stated that, I mean, and it's true, right? We're so much more apt to click on something on our mobile devices than we are on our, you know, on our, on our, even on our laptops, even though a laptop is a really a mobile device, it's not mobile in the sense that it's, you know, mobile. So, um, phones, iPads, whatever, especially our phones. So, and threat actors know this and they're targeting, you know, our smart devices, our handheld um, you know, mobile devices, mobile operating systems, our Androids and our iPhones a lot more because they know that we're more likely to click on it and click on it fast. So um, no less delay there um, on clicking on things on our on our iPad. So um, yes, just stop clicking. <laughs> I'd like to see the, I'd like to see the, uh, the, 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 the the science behind that, you know, why we're more prone to click here or there. That'd be interesting. My, Into my gratification. Yeah, I guess. But you, you figure the same thing with the browser. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, Jen. For me, you know, every now and again, I'll, I'll do something. I'll think, wait, you know, I'll pause and check myself. Like, did I say something I shouldn't have hit or whatever it is? Like, there's always that moment. And I, I probably run a full system scan, I would say, at least every other day in my paranoia that I, I may have done the wrong thing, you know? And I think, if you, you know, a lot of people want to poo-poo on AV these days. I still am a grateful antivirus user. I have it and I, I make all my family install it. And it's just mm -hmm. one more layer of defense, right? And I'll tell you, non non uh, non sponsor uh, promotion. I'm a big fan of Bitdefender. I think it's a great service. I use that personally. 
great support, great, great product. It just gives me another layer of confidence that I'm secure. And if I need to run that scan, I can run that scan, right? So, so why wouldn't we? But Jen, uh, you covered a lot there as always, and we're approaching the, the top of our time here. So why don't you keep the ball one more round here and start us off in our quick hits. Anything you want to cover in our last closing quick hit section? Quick hits, just sharing a little, a little sizzle love, love to share their um, their reports and advisories. They did a joint cybersecurity advisory last week on preventing web application access control abuse. So if you're um, uh, an organization that deals with web applications directly, um, this is a good, uh, or, you know, like developing them and whatnot. Um, this is a good uh, good report and always an interesting and informative read. Okay, maybe for the nerds, but um, I always like to read CISA's analysis of their uh, prior year risk and vulnerability assessments. Um, they do that across the varied critical infrastructure organizations. And it's interesting to see, you know, kind of the commonalities and, and what continue or what are the new, if there are any new threats or continue to be um, the common threats. And in my, I'm going to call them the vulnerabilities, patch them if you got them segment. Um, yeah. Move it is still the gift that keeps on giving. There were 515 organizations that were impacted as of Friday. Uh, CISA released the malware analysis reports looking at Barracuda. So if you run Barracuda, make sure that, that you're patched um, on your email secure gateways. Citrix has some more issues and uh, the new on CISA's known exploited vulnerabilities catalog to Ivanti endpoint manager mobile um, exploits. Uh, Apple patches all. Um, those are also being exploited um, for all uh, across all products and the Zimbra collaboration is being exploited also. So a number of threats for us to be concerned about, a number of updates from CISA. We'll share some of those links. Jen, I've got some of those links. I'm going to try not to repeat some of the things you just shared there, but it's a couple of other things for folks to keep in mind. Again, we'll have these links in the show notes. Not going to share the links. We've shared these as spotlight items in our gifting sun almost every day. Again, if you're not getting that, sign up from our website. You can get that in your box, right? But severe weather, man, oh, man, oh, man, from, from severe heat here in the U.S. to some significant wind damage to fires to right now a significant uh, tropical system, a typhoon in Asia affecting China and Japan. There's a lot going on in our environment, you know, record setting heat, worth checking out. Again, I think folks are generally aware, but sometimes you don't appreciate the full magnitude of the global threats that are happening right now in this very hot month of July. And I think August is gonna be similar. You can check those links out, worth, worth checking out. A couple other items, uh, CISA, a couple of good updates. Uh, one, CISA establishes regional election security advisors to strengthen frontline support to the election community as we lean into the 24 election. I think it's really notable. Uh, CISA Jen Easterly shared a blog post there. By the way, CISA Jen Easterly and other DHS officials, when are we going to see you all on threads? Just asking that question. Um, CISA cybersecurity performance goals, specific goals update. Uh, the President <laughs> Biden has nominated uh, Mr. Harry Coker Jr. for the National Cyber Director position. COFENS released their Q2. Uh, cyber report. Uh, the uh, couple other items here I'm looking at, I think you mentioned some of these. I'll share some of these links. Uh, Google released their report, the ups and downs of zero days, year in review of zero days exploited in the wild. I think it's their fourth year releasing this report. Pretty interesting, pretty concerning, worth checking out. And Jen, I think there's a couple more that we'll share. I think that's all I'm going to cover the time that we have. Any closing thoughts or last items you want to throw out before we break? No, I'm bummed that we weren't as short and concise. I wasn't as short and concise as last time. You were short and concise, Jen. You were short <laughs> and concise. Hey, hey, check us out wherever you want to check us out. We're glad to have you as listeners, subscribers. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for hanging out with Jen these last two weeks. Next week, we should have Dave Pounder back. 
Maybe Jen will return and spend more time with us. We'll see. But thanks for listening. Thanks for dialing in, Jen. Thank you for taking time out to join me for our podcast, for our security sprint. For those listening, have a good time this week. Be safe, be responsible. And we look forward to sharing more with you with all of our podcasts this month. Security Sprint, The Nerd Out, maybe a surprise TCE. I've got a great <laughs> podcast interview coming up later this month. I'm really looking forward to. Check them all out. Subscribe and let us know any feedback that you have. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you.